Good morning. Welcome this morning to Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'm glad that all of you are here and all of you are here joining us online. Let's all stand and sing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this silver place. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. Be with fellow believers. Um, let us have the attitude of worship 
and of praise in everything that you do, and especially this morning as we worship you in song, as we listen to your word being preached by uh, Pastor Mike. And I just, again, I'm so thankful um, for the opportunity uh, for this moment. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Daniel and Haley and Bobby. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 18 as we continue going through Matthew. And we're going to be looking at 7-Eleven. You remember the story of 7-Eleven? I don't even know if they, they exist anymore. But uh, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. So uh, if you'll turn in Matthew chapter 18... And we'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. It says, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just want to ask you, as we sing about your grace, I want to ask you for its sufficiency to be felt in this service, in our lives, that the Holy Spirit take your word, your message, and touch our hearts and our lives, reveal to us the truth that we need to hear. And by doing this, and with doing this, Lord, I just pray that we will adhere to it in the way that you would have us to, and that we would be obedient to you, because as we're obedient to you, we bring honor and glory to your name. So help us in doing this, for well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in chapter 18, the disciples asked Jesus a question. And the question was, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we talked a little bit about that last week. The question concerning greatness is posed for the discussion of the entire chapter, really. Here we see the disciples misunderstanding not only about greatness, but about 
what God has been teaching them, and that is the kingdom, being kingdom people. So Jesus illustrates and shares with them what makes one great. And we looked at that last week, and he said uh, he brings a child into the group in the middle of them, and he says, unless one becomes like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as his child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So he's not talking about the innocence of a child. We know that we're all born with a sin nature. So it's not the innocence of the child that he's talking about there. He tells us what he's talking about, and that is the humbleness, the humility, the dependence, the faith of this little child. And that's what makes him great. You know, today with movers and shakers, you won't hear them being classified or identified or, uh, you know, talked about as being humble, being dependent, being people of faith, trusting in, in others, needing to trust in others. No, these are people who make it on their own. They can do anything on their own. But this is not what Jesus is describing here. The child is vulnerable. The movers and shakers, they're not. They don't appear that way. The child is one who trusts, and, and they trust in their, their parents, especially uh, in the situation here that Jesus is trying to illustrate their father. As a child grows older, though, they're more apt to trust less. The childlike faith that Jesus refers to here is the uh, faith that believers in the one who makes the promise believes in that person to carry through with the promise. And so the, tr the child trusts their parents to carry through with the, the promise. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, parents in the swimming pool and their little children for the first time around the water and them reaching out for the child and telling them to jump to them, jump into their arms. And eventually they jump into their arms. What are they doing? They're trusting their parent with the promise that the parent has given them by reaching out with their arms and saying, you can jump into my arms. I'll catch you. You'll be safe. And so Jesus here is telling us that these are the people who are great, who trust in God, who realize that they can't make it to heaven on their own who are not independent, who are not proud, who are not going their own way, depending upon them, their own selves. It's these people who trust in the Lord. Does that mean that we're not to do anything, that we're to sit back and do nothing and say, God, I can't do anything, you just do it off? No. It's, it's doing things and realizing that God has given us a help. He's given us the ability, He's given us the mind, He's given us the capability to do these things, and we thank God for that as we do these. There's a warning issued that was issued in verse 6, directed to anyone who would lead a believer to stumble. 
And it's a serious matter with the Lord because he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it's better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of sea. In other words, it should never happen. But it does happen, doesn't it, unfortunately? Even with believers. We cause other believers to stumble so often. Maybe by what we say, maybe by what we do. Of course, as we go back to Romans, we were looking at the license to, to do things and then the, uh, the legalists. And it was really the, the license to, uh, the freedom uh, to, to eat anything, but not causing these that were more legalistic to stumble because they were strict and they had a hard time with this by their old regulations. So it's easy to cause one to stumble. In verse 7, Jesus issues this warning, though, and it's dealing primarily with the world. And there are many stumbling blocks out in the world. In verse 7, Jesus tells them, Stumbling blocks will come. Be prepared. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable. It is inescapable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. So first we need to understand that the world isn't as it appears. Things are not as we might assume them to be. So beware, be careful. Some things, Satan is very cunning in how he operates and he will operate through a society and through a world, through a culture to bring us down to take us down. And so there are things out there that seem like they're harmless, but we need to be very careful about this. Second of all, he's letting us know that these stumbling blocks were things that the people there could relate to. And we can relate to stumbling blocks also. We should be able to. You know, this was a pedestrian culture. And there, that was a problem, carrying things. And, and if you carried heavy things out in front of you like this with your arms out, it's easy to stumble, stumble over something. And so what he was uh, relating to them, they could relate to because this was of their world. But we can relate to it also. We've stumbled over things in our life physically. We've stumbled over things mentally. We've stumbled over things spiritually, morally, all kinds of ways. So uh, Jesus uses a metaphor, stumbling block, because people could relate to it. And we can relate to that also. A stumbling block is something that is before us that can cause harm. And then third, Jesus warns his listeners not to be a stumbling block. He warns that if you become one, you're in great danger of judgment. This woe can be both really to the believer, he says, to the world and to the one who does it. It, it can even uh, be a, 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 a believer here or an unbeliever. But uh, in verse 9, Jesus delivers a woe to the world. Previously, it was to, for the believer, but 
Here it can be for the believer also, so we need to be very careful in what we do. But it's primarily concerning the world. Jesus tells us that the world is full of stumbling blocks. Now we're talking about a world that is corrupted by sin. A world that is filled with the evidence of sin. And the, the pattern that we can detect through all of this is just look at the stumbling blocks. The world is filled with them. And we should be very concerned about them because Jesus says, Woe, and this is a word filled with final judgment. Especially when used by Jesus. Eschological judgment. The judgment to come. The world is filled with spiritual obstacles. The world is filled with everything that can trip you up. It's filled with temptations. It's filled with complications. It's filled with obstacles of all forms, shapes. It's filled with persecutions and, and chaos and complexities. It's filled with competition, in it? That can certainly cause us to stumble. It's filled with all kinds of things that can distract us from the kingdom. These things can be amoral, but still distract us from the kingdom and from living and doing kingdom work. And the world is also filled with things that can attract us, not only distract us, but attract us from the kingdom. Things that might cause us to morally default. The world is filled with them. Things that trip up Christians. Jesus says about these stumbling blocks, they're inescapable. There will always be stumbling blocks. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be temptations, pitfalls, and obstacles. Remember, these are there, so beware of them. Because of the fall of man and the curse of sin, stumbling blocks are going to happen, to be present. But with these stumbling blocks, where we really stumble is choices that's very important woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks for it is inescapable that stumbling blocks come in model prayer and this is so very interesting the lord's prayer as some call it there's the strangest request have you heard it read it lately and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, reading that, how does that sound? It sounds like we're saying, Lord, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from it. So, it sounds strange to pray to God for him not to lead us into temptation. Now, in this passage, Jesus says something that's similar to what we've been reading, where it says, for it is inescapable, inescapable that stumbling blocks come. When Jesus is telling us that it is inescapable, inevitable, that stumbling blocks come, then he's telling us 
that we live in a fallen world and we will face these temptations and these temptations are stumbling blocks. But they can be used for good. This is what Jesus was saying and, and re, uh, referencing in, in the Lord's Prayer. It can be for good. First, without choosing. First of all, just think about it. Without choosing indecision between good and bad, there wouldn't be any challenge, would there? It would mean that we wouldn't have a chance to prove how much we love someone, how much they mean to us and how much we depend upon them for help. I mean, it's, it's like in a marriage. Someone over there, there's flirtations all around, whether it's the, the male spouse or the female spouse, and then there's choices to be made. There's that commitment that they made in marriage for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do its part. I'll love you always. But then there's these callings sometimes out from someone else. Especially when things are tough at home or there's financial problems or there's difficulties in other ways. It seems like those calls become strong. You have to make a choice. But not only between one uh, between that person and that spouse, but also, and your spouse, but also maybe in, in doing something for that person, living them, uh, loving them unconditionally. It means maybe giving up something temporarily for them that day to go and be with them and do something with them. So, we see that there's choices all the time. In our lives, we'll encounter difficulties. We will be faced with decisions to make. We'll have to choose. It's not a life of casual leisure. It's not a life of, of ease. It's, it's not a life of comfort. It's a warfare going on, as Paul tells us. You know, it's, it's, it's not living in a, a safe zone from these challenges and difficulties and temptations and dangers. It is a life that is safe in the midst of these dangers, though. And then second of all, without choices, there would be little or no growing in Christ. In other words, we'll, we would not have to be making a decision that involved glorifying the Lord. It would be all about ourselves. And God didn't make it that way. Two principles that we have a hard time with in our mind with all of this, reconciling it, is the sovereignty of God and the, um, you know, the choice of man. And this is a problem. It's not a problem with God. Let me go ahead and say that. It's a problem with us. And we'll always have that problem. And so the stumbling blocks we've got to remember they don't catch God by surprise. That's the sovereignty, first of all. That's the sovereignty of God. They are in His divine plan. They are for His glory and for our growth and our good. He doesn't 
tempt us to get us to fall. He doesn't allow us to have trials and temptations for us to fail. What he's wanting is for us to choose the right thing. It's our choice for us to glorify him. So the sovereignty of God explains why the world is the way it is. But the second great truth here is that the scriptures teach is man's responsibility, man's choice. Yes, God is sovereign, but man is responsible. And that, that may be hard to reconcile in our mind, but just remember that we don't have the mind of God. There's no way we're going to be able to put together in perfect harmony, and may I say in perfect harmony in our finite minds, this totality of God's truth, the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Well, we may think we have it down after we've studied systematic theology and other courses like that, but we don't. For instance, Pharaoh says that God hardened his heart, but it says that he hardened his heart. Judas says that he betrayed Jesus, but we're told that it was in God's plan. Ah, man. You just don't explain fully in perfect harmony all of these truths, do you? It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. It is a part of God's purpose, his plan. He says, woe to the man through whom they come. Is part of God's ordained plan, but the one who does this will be responsible for their action concerning these stumbling blocks. In, verse, in the verses prior to these, as I talked about in verses 1 through 6, we were told, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it's better for him than a heavy, that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. In other words, you, it, that's pretty bad. should never happen. You don't want it to happen. Jesus now says, woe to the world because of these stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Woe. Jesus is telling his listeners that God is sovereign, but everyone is responsible for their choice. So beware, be careful. Walk circumspectly. We can't claim to be victims of ourselves. We cannot claim that we are victims of our humanity and our own sin. Yes, we're born into sin, but when we come into this world, what do we do? We commit sins on our own. Sins of commission and sins of omission. As someone phrased it best, I guess, go figure. <laughs> Jesus is speaking to his own disciples. And he puts the responsibility on them. And whoever commits it in this world. If you, he says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled 
or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the fiery hell. Now this is a very radical statement, people. He says, if your hand's going to take you to hell, cut it off. If your foot is going to lead you to hell, cut it off. Now the question one uh, may uh, arise, one has, is does Jesus mean this literally? Stay with me, please, when I answer this. Yes. Jesus is speaking literally. Does this mean that there should be amputation for the cause of the gospel? No. It is a hyperbole statement to get their attention, to help them to understand. Physical amputation is not what this literally means. No one will be able to save when they get to heaven or don't get to heaven. My hand kept me from going to heaven or my hand helped me when I removed it, go to heaven. This text is teaching moral responsibility. It is not the hand that operates on it own, its own, is it? It is not the foot that operates on its own. We all know that the hand and the foot is driven by what? The brain. Sin does not originate in the hand, nor does it originate in the foot, nor does it originate in the eye. What we do have here in this passage are three very clear metaphorical, literal indications of how sin arises. For instance, when we succumb to temptation, it often takes the form of the hand, doesn't it? Or the foot, or the eye. The hand, figuratively, figuratively, fig, well, I'll get it out in a minute. Figuratively demonstrates what? Human action. Just like taking a ball in your hand and throwing it. Human action. Our hands become an indication of our activity. And our activity can not only, you know, um, become hurtful, but very uh, it can become a very uh, dreaded snare, if you will. A deadly snare. If our activity is sinful, we are not only giving our hands to it, but our heart. You can't have guilty hands and an innocent heart. The activity is derived from the evil heart. The feet, same way, metaphorically. It implies moving, going in a direction, moving into sin here. Psalm 1 tells us how blessed is the man who does not walk, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And we know that the metaphor is relating to feet. We know what it means for our feet to take us where we ought not to go. Our feet that follow the wrong counsel here. But it comes from the heart. And then the eyes. What are they? They're the portals, aren't they? Through which we see. 
Eyes can easily pull us in the wrong direction, can't they? But one of the problems with our eyes is that they lie to us continually. What do you mean by that? Well, let's look at the difference between beauty in the Bible and being pretty. Beauty in the Bible is truth. But I'm afraid that our society, for the most part, teaches being pretty as being beautiful. Because they use beauty for enticement and allurement. I mean, just look at the commercials. As believers, it's it's a must to be discerning in this matter. One must understand the difference between beauty and being pretty. God created this earth and all that's in this earth for its beauty. Pretty is man's abuse of it. You know, it's, it's beauty by the world standard most likely will be distorted. How many magazines, beauty magazines, Cosmopolitan, I guess, they still make that magazine, uh, and others, um, how many of them show, have the emphasis, this is a beautiful woman, and they show this woman, this mother with wrinkles? She doesn't have a thin waistline. Her hands are aging. She hasn't had any facelifts. But she's one who has raised a child or children, who's given her life to her husband and her family to take care of them, who's made sure that they would be at church, who's made sure that they would see a good, loving example, a Christ-like example to follow, who have children who rise up and call her blessed. How many magazines depict beauty that way? Most of them is by these airbrush, light hitting at a certain spot, very thin, dieted people they call beautiful. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves. That's not what's being taught here. True beauty is of the heart and not some external appearance. You see, our eyes can lie to us in so many ways. And then finally, stumbling blocks left unattended bring judgment. There's no ways around it. This is what he says here. The literal meaning here is that Jesus is teaching that discipleship is so costly that we must be willing to give up anything and everything for the cause of the gospel. He's warning about the dangers that will keep us from doing this and from living the kind of life that we need to live. 
He's warning about being a stumbling block even to others. You know, if we're not serious about the Lord, if we're not serious about serving Him, one day, I'm afraid, there's going to be some answering going on. There, You know, yes, you saying that I'm going to spend eternity in hell? No, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to say that there's some rewards that you missed out on and I missed out on just because we became a stumbling block for God's kingdom. They didn't see the, the love, the desire to serve the Lord, the willingness to, to give up, the willingness to, uh, to uh, give in to the Lord in whatever way and whatever ma- manner it might be to bring honor and glory to Him and glorify Him through all, it, through all that's said and done, to be committed, to be real, to be genuine, as we've been talking about on Sunday night, for people to see that. And not some casual, fly-by-night type of walk with the Lord. That really doesn't mean anything. Has no change. Has no commitment. Stands for nothing. We see that the world will have to answer for their stumbling blocks. Putting stumbling blocks before men and keeping many from heaven. With believers, it's a matter of truly illustrating what the kingdom of God is like. And we should be on guard against distorting it. It's not, well, this is what I like. It's what God likes and wants. Judgment is not, and this is true, you look at it, it's not something illusional. It's not something that Christians have made up. It is literal. We just don't hear about it that much anymore. It's a literal place of torment. And it's an eternal place of torment. It is a place where people will not go around buddying up with other buddies that they had that were lost here on earth. There'll be no buddies in heaven, I mean in hell. It's a place of separation and torment. He says a fiery hell. In Revelation 19, 20, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived, he made others stumble, causing others to stumble. Those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive, alive, into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone in Revelation 19.20. Then Revelation 20. And the devil who deceived, stumbled, caused others to stumble, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Never having another chance. That's it. But it's not just for them. And I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. These were all the people that died without Christ. And I saw the dead and the great and the small, those who were at one time were great. Man, you know, they had a name. Those who didn't have a name. But they were without Christ, all of these. 
standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell gave up the death, dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades, which they were in, this is place of abode uh, for them, were thrown into the lake of fire. They were thrown into the lake of That is the second death of the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. People, sad thing about this, it's a real place. It's a place of eternal torment. It's a place of no second chances. Eternal means there's no second chances. Once you've been judged and sentenced to hell, that's it. It's final. Verse 10, back in Matthew, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Jesus is still teaching about those little ones, those who are born again. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it's better for him to have uh, a heavy millstone hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Someone said that verse 10 is not some little greeting card theology. Be kind to the little ones because the angels in heaven hold them dear to the heavenly Father. That's not it. It's far from that. Why would Jesus have to say, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, when earlier in verse 3 and 4 he said, uh, disciples, if you, you know, if you want to be great, then you must become like one of the little ones. Well, the word despised here means to marginalize. It means to be embarrassed by. And he's saying, don't do that. The emphasis is on God's care for his children. Everyone's important. Don't go by the standard. Oh, he's not great because of this person or because of that organization or he's not like that kind of person or he's not that kind of leader or this kind of leader. He says, don't do that. He says, care for them, love them. Jesus is telling them, treat believers with a sense of value. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, they are valuable to Christ and they are safe in Christ. And we should view them the same way, every believer. It doesn't matter what you think of that believer. Every believer is valuable in the Lord. We should be in prayer for them. If we see where they're weak, if we see where they need training, if we see where they need this or that, then we should go along and in humility help them come along. It says we should view them this way, the way that the Lord does. And we should... Be alert in our walk. Walk circumspectly so as not to cause them to stumble. How do we cause them to stumble? Well, three distinct ways that we know of in, in chapter 18 is you cause one to stumble in sin. In, in verses uh, 5 through 9. Also in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 18, 
failing to confront a brother's sin. You see him sinning, going to him in love, talking with him about it. Then in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 18, by confronting with a vengeful motive, the wrong kind of motive, thinking that you're better than them, or trying to make them look bad, or by failing to forgive a brother in verses 21 through 35 of chapter 18. See, all these actions are viewed by God as child abuse. This is a warning to us. The angels mention are an indirect warning of judgment against those who mistreat children. The angels, yes, but the main emphasis here, the teaching that we need to look at is the angels in heaven continually behold the face of the Father, emphasizing the attention they have from the Father concerning these little ones. So they seem to be sent from God to serve believers in Hebrews 1.14. And the point being that angels have access to the presence of God at all times on behalf of these little ones. We so easily can conform to the world's values, can't we? Allow them to control us. We fall into the pit of wanting to honor the strong, honor the highly gifted, honor the pretty ones, honor the ones to whom we think are the greatest and the least likely to be vulnerable to fall. And we despise those who merely follow godly principles sometimes. We are at our most vulnerable when we think that we are not vulnerable. We set ourselves up for temptation when we think that we're not tempted. And we are least strong when we think that we're most strong. You see, the child who prospers, the child who seems to grow and to produce fruit the way that it should, is the one who walks along through this world beside its father. Recognizing as a little child that it's dark and it's, scary at points out there. And this little child doesn't want to get ahead of the Father, but follow the Father, walk beside the Father, be with the Father, and reaches up to the Father and grabs his hand and walks with the Father because he knows his safety, his protection, his guidance is with the Father. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you that you love us, that you care for us. God, that you're always there for us. I want to thank you that you never leave us, that you, even through our mistakes, our stumbling, and even when we cause others to stumble, you don't give up on us. Thank you, God, 
We may give up on others, but you don't give up on us, nor them. And I just pray that we'll be more like you, God. That we will allow the Spirit and your truth to conform us to the image of Christ day by day. And to be as that child who doesn't get ahead of the Father, who doesn't fall back, way back behind the Father, but walks with the Father hand in hand, allowing Him to lead, to protect, to guide, and to give comfort and hope. Help us be that kind of child. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. God's leading you in any way. Maybe come and kneel at the altar or make some other decision. You come today. continues to work in lives and in situation crisis and allows more and more to come back because it's such a joy to be face to face with you but uh, and seeing different ones that uh, haven't come and are here now and so we just thank you thank the lord for it so let's pray and let's pray for uh, you know people will be protected and and that they'll be able to come back when uh you know they feel it's right and we want that too so, uh, any any announcements or anything, brother? I know that. Oh, oh sorry, Haley. Um, so we do have uh, a couple of announcements. Um, our Wednesday prayer meeting, as Mike mentioned, um, will be here on site as well as on the phones, um, as it has been going. So if you feel comfortable and feel okay uh, meeting here, we'll be in the fellowship hall um, at 6:30 on Wednesdays. Will also be on the phone as well. So do not feel like if you again if you are not comfortable, um, we will still have our phone system um, ready for prayer meeting as we've been doing uh, for the past couple of months. Also, uh, we will have our uh, senior ladies class meeting again next Sunday. Am I correct about that? Um, so, other than that, I think that is it. Okay. Yeah. No. Anything? Okay. You ready to leave and go away rejoicing in the Lord? Amen. Amen. I hope you are. Amen. Okay, let's go, brother.